0: Welcome to Storytelling with Lindsay Bednar. Do you remember how we first met? Do you remember our first interaction?
1: Well, I remember coaching basketball against each other. Oh, yes. And then I saw you in the steam room. Or no, no, no. I saw you in the weight room. Yes.
0: Yep. Do you remember what shirt I was wearing? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Uh, It said, legalize freedom. Yep. JP Sears. And it's funny because just the other day I had somebody really close to me say, You're kind of a conundrum. Like, I can't figure out politically where you align. And I was like, Really? I think I'm pretty cut and dry. Like, I believe in freedom. And whether a certain decision matches with my ideology or not, I don't want to take away somebody else's freedom to, you know, pursue that. So, At first I was like, well, that's kind of confusing because I think it's pretty obvious. But, you know, we're in a two party system and there's not either side doesn't fully support freedom. So I guess for that reason, then it seems confusing because everybody wants to put somebody into a box and I don't fit into
1: one. I don't either. I'm a big freedom guy and I, I feel kind of politically homeless because of that. I don't want to enforce anything on anyone and I don't want anything enforced on me. Yes.
0: (laughs) I'm at the age now where
1: I'm like, just leave me alone. Like I'm going to try to be a really good person and not ruin people's lives. And I just want to be left alone.
0: A million percent. And there have been a number of things in the past few years that have definitely pushed me more into the process of I just want to protect everybody's freedoms, whether it's mine or the person next to me. And if we all operated under that same notion, I feel like we could actually start to get on the same page. Yeah. But I just don't know if that's possible. Like, what is it going to take to shift things? Uh,
1: I don't know. I really don't. I mean, I think, I think part of the biggest problem we have with this world right now is, you know, there are billions of people who have like pretty good freedom and we're pretty used to a pretty good life. And so we've kind of had it easy for a while and it's sort of, you know, like human nature is like, I want to stir some shit up. Like I want to, I want to find some drama. Like I need something to care about and be like real geeked up about. And I look at the world and I go, I don't know. There's, there's quite a bit of stuff (laughs) like going on. You know, (laughs) there are also billions of people out there who are absolutely not free, like not even close. And I'm like, I don't know. I just, I look at it and I go, I think we should just hold like, hold the line and not give up, not give up our freedoms, not try to take away, like, from other people. Just, like, go live our lives and be decent. And, I, I you know, I, I know you have to deal with this. And for my job, more and more, I have to deal with social media. And I just look at it kind of like, you know, when I, was, when I was growing up, I worked in restaurants, right? And so, I tip really well because mm-hmm. I saw how bad, like, servers get treated, you know? And their job sucks, like – you have to pretend to be nice to people who suck a lot of times. And so it like makes you really sensitive to that, you know? And I feel with social media, I look at it and I go, geez, like you have the chance to not bring something negative into the world and you're choosing to make the world worse. Like on this little micro scale. And I look at that and I go, why? Like why, why do that to anyone? It does it doesn't make sense to me.
0: No. And I think it is a, reflection of how broken people are right now and it's unfortunate but one of the things that social media has definitely highlighted is like how people are not whole and how many distortions and like unresolved trauma people have and i don't know what's going to shift that other than just people leading by example and supporting one another letting people's voices be heard whether you agree with them or not like that's a huge proponent of this podcast and what i want to bring forward is allowing people to share their stories if for no other reason to offer people a different perspective one that might hopefully broaden their horizon but at least allow people to let other people be and lead their lives
1: yep and i i think that people don't I think it's really easy for us to have this like main character syndrome where we're like, I'm, you know, I'm the one that's struggling and there's like, I'm the victim of something and it's like, everybody's depressed. Like everybody feels like they're a fraud in their life. Like people have self-esteem issues. Like everybody's dealing with that stuff. I think it's like so easy to sort of forget that. And instead of taking care of ourselves, we find some other way to project that. And I, you know, like, I mean, I know people get get all worked up over Jordan Peterson and love him, hate him, whatever. But like the basic tenant to one of his messages is you have to like take care of yourself first before you can change the world. And I think that's like so powerful, because if you're not like addressing your own problems, you're not going to fix somebody else. Like you're not going to change their mind.
0: Totally. I couldn't agree with that more. And I feel like it's one of the biggest reasons why people look outward is because going inward is scary, you know, it sucks. Yeah, it does. (laughs) Because you have to come to terms with all of your own issues and all of your own junk. And it's so much easier to, you know, point the finger out there and what's going wrong with this person or that person. But if everybody just focused on them, their own issues and bettering themselves, not only would we be too busy to worry about what other people are up to, but we'd actually start to heal this planet because we would all be raising our vibrations. We would all become more kind, more empathic, more open-minded, but it is a lot harder to do than look at what's wrong with everybody else.
1: Yeah. I uh, I had a situation last night, actually. So uh, one of our uh, our old next door neighbor has a daughter who's like a year older than my girls. And so they're good friends and, you know, Monday didn't have school. So he texted me and said, if you want to bring the girls over, you know, they can play. And so I, and I really liked the guy. So I sat there and talked to him for a while. Cause I don't see him that much anymore. And he's like, ah, oh, you know, I, I want to keep going to the gym and working out, but I've been like making excuses and I just haven't been going. And he's like, I'm not really losing the weight that I thought I would. And I, you know, so I'm like, well, you, you gotta keep going, dude. Like, and he's, he's, He's not in very good shape, but he's working on it. Mm-hmm. And he does just cardio because he's just comfortable. You know, like when you first start going to the gym, it's like, I'm just going to do like what I know. Right. Path of least and I'm resistance. Like, he, and he keeps asking me about lifting weights and he's too intimidated to go in the weight room. I was like, anytime you want to go, just text me and I'll go there with you. Like everybody deals with this. Like everybody looks at that unless you grew up like a gym rat, like you don't, you know, if you, if you're middle age, and you're suddenly, suddenly going to start to go, you're going to be intimidated for sure. And so last night I just, I had a bunch of stuff going on. So I didn't get to go till late. And I, and I went there and he was on a treadmill and, and you know, he was doing his runs. So I didn't want to bother him. So I went and did my own thing and I get home and he texts me and I, he didn't, I guess he didn't know I was there, but he's like, Oh, thanks for the pep talk. I did a 5k tonight. And he sent me a screenshot of his treadmill and and he's like, I just, I got to keep going. And I was like, dude, that's awesome. Like, do that. Keep going. And the next text was, I'm going to try, but I've been struggling with some depression and some self-esteem issues. And I was like, you know, join the club, bro. Yeah. Like, we're <laughs> that's why we're there. And I don't think he believed me because he came back and he's like, not everybody – has these issues i'm like well you're talking to somebody who does like i'm just like eight years ahead on my journey compared to what you are but you know it's like so easy to just sit there and be like i have these problems and i'm gonna acknowledge them to an extent but i'm not like i'm not ready to like take ownership of them and do something about them and i'm like man you're right on the cusp just like take another step you know
0: one of my favorite things I've heard from Stephen Pressfield, which is like my favorite author, he was talking about how every morning when his alarm goes off, he stops himself from snoozing it and like jumps out of bed because he's like, that is the first part where resistance kicks in in my day. That first alarm, resistance is already kicking in. And if I can just do those little steps, you know, I'm not going to turn off my alarm. I'm not going to skip going to the gym, even when I'm tired or going for that walk or whatever the exercise is. And you do, you have to just, it's kind of like when you enter into a marriage and you just take divorce off the table, like knowing, listen, we're, we're going to have issues that come up or whatever. But if you, if the two of you make a decision that like, we're going to put that off the table and we're going to figure out how we're going to do this. Uh, when you make that decision that I'm not going to avoid whatever my workout or whatever it is that you don't want to do, then you're going to stick to it a lot better.
1: Yeah. And I I think we don't, we don't frame stuff up for ourselves very well that way. Like, I think, I think we sort of take a lot of our decisions for granted. And I think, you know, like just using the, the workout example, this kind of hit me the other day, like, People always look at it and they go, and this is people who are starting from scratch kind of, you know, or has haven't done it in a long time. I want to lose weight. Like I want to, you know, it's like the American beauty thing. Like I want to look better naked.
0: Yeah. Right. (laughs) How do I get there? Right.
1: And everybody does that. Right. Like that's, that's like the primary driver, but losing weight is freaking hard and it's not an immediate thing. And you know, for most people, you know, or, or they make such drastic decisions that it's too much and it's unsustainable. And it's like, you, you really should be doing this to feel better physically and mentally, like emotionally, like this is the weight loss thing will be a super sweet benefit because it'll come if you stick with it for sure. I mean, even if you have kind of a crappy diet, it'll come along, it won't come along as well, but we look, we look at this stuff wrong. We look at it like it's a fix to maybe this, but not this, or it's like the single minded reason to do this. And if you don't get that result, it's over. And it's like, hold on. Like there's, there's so many benefits to doing this beyond just dropping smell bees, you know?
0: Right. And I think it's tough to articulate that to someone who's just starting out their journey. Cause I was there high school, I was almost 200 pounds, 15 sitting on the sidelines 16 years old, and I wanted to lose weight because I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be asked to prom. I wanted to have more dates. You know all the things. So that was you know the proponent of what got me exercising finally. But had somebody told me how much it was going to change, just the energy that I had, the confidence that I had, everything else, I I would have started it a lot sooner. But you're just so focused on that one thing, and then at the end of it, losing weight is just like, a, like you said, it's just a bonus. It's all the other stuff that's so much more important.
1: Yeah. And it's, that is a hard thing to articulate because it's like, if you, if you've never done it, you don't know, like, you're just not going to know what it feels like. I mean, I didn't, when I start, when I quit drinking and started working out, I had no concept of what was going to happen to me. Like, I just, I just knew I needed to fill feel- <laughs> I need to fill some time and make myself sleep because I was going to backslide otherwise. And it's it's an absolute game changer, but it's it's hard. And, you know, I mean, in your case, you know, you were probably at like a really easy time to see what was wrong with you or like recognize because you were at an age where you're like real self-conscious and you're in school and everybody sucks. It's Lord of the Flies. I think, And and, it, and I'm not saying like, I don't like mean to like minimize that, but I'm just saying like, that was like a moment to see that, like that, that was going to be apparent to you no matter what. I think at a certain point in life, if you, you know, if you start to get out of shape, middle 30s, whatever, eh, it's like, it's kind of a gradual progression. It
0: is. It's a slow creep when you're And you
1: don't, I see this with guys a lot, like guys my age who way overestimate how how good a shape they're in and how strong they are and how fast they can run. You know, like, cause, it, you know, it, at our heart, we're like eight year old boys. We're all just idiots, right? And we look at ourselves like we're the most baddest ass people and we're good fighters and all this, all this stuff that's absolutely not true. But we think about it, our, about ourselves. And then, you know, like if you don't test that, you might not ever figure out that it's total BS. And that, w- that was something to me when I, when I started working out. I was like, you know, for my job, like I climb mountains and stuff. Like I, I was like, I'm in shape because I can do this. And when I went and tried to do that first five K on a treadmill, I was like, I am so not in shape. Like I, it was like, it was like, I was laid bare. Like I was naked in front of the whole crowd. I'm like, Oh my God, this, everything I thought about myself was wrong, you know? And you, you know, you think about like. Oh, I'm pretty disciplined. Like I'm pretty this, I'm pretty that. I do this. Like we we're real biased for ourselves. Even though we like, you know, internal monologues sometimes we're like we're we're pieces of shit. Like we don't like right. each other.
0: We can be our own worst critic and but
1: we also are like our own best cheerleader. And th- I think there's so much more danger in that in lying to like believing those lies about yourself. Because when you go out and test it somehow, and there's and there's so many ways to do this, right? Like when I when I was talking to my old neighbor, and he was like complaining about not losing weight and he's like yeah it, you know i know i need to give up the soda and some stuff and i was like well that's an easy one bro yeah. like i mean it really like don't buy that like you you'll be fine that's not like it's not like you're hooked on heroin you know like and in some it's, ways it's
0: pretty addictive <laughs> in yeah. some ways
1: it kind of is uh-huh. right but i'm like you can you can take these baby steps and you're going to move in the right direction but it's like it's a long game thing. And it's just so hard. And I know like it's so easy to sound preachy on this side, you know, and I, I hate that. Like, I don't want to sound like that, but when you go through it, you're like, you, you realize like that, man, that's a good journey to take. Like you learn about yourself a lot.
0: So much. How old were you when you took that journey? And did you have significant weight to loss? Like I had significant weight to loss or for you, is it just.
1: So I, when I, it was 10 years ago, it's almost actually almost 10 years ago on, uh, January 1, so, um, but, and, and I, honestly, I didn't, it just happened to be kind of a happy accident that when I quit drinking, we decided to start going to the gym. Like, it was just kind of like a t- life timing thing with the little girls and just, you know, having two babies at home and having the childcare at the Y, whatever. But when I quit, I was 220 pounds, I had no muscle, and so I'm 6'2", so, It's not like I was like, you you wouldn't have looked at me and been like, that guy's like way overweight, but I had the fat alcoholic face and I was just way out of shape. And so when I quit, I, I made a bunch of changes. I did too much. I quit and I was like doing keto and all this BS. Like I, it was too much for me to maintain, but I went from 220 pounds to like 192 pounds like fast and I was like, Oh my God. And it, that was a, but that was a, like a false horizon. Like I was like, Oh, I got this stuff dialed. And really I didn't, I just wasn't doing these super destructive behaviors that, that had me taking a bunch of calories. Right. And so it was like a, it was fake news. Yeah, <laughs> It wasn't, It it wasn't the answer. And then you know, you know how it is. Like I lost that. And then I felt like, well, I can freaking eat whatever I want and do whatever I want. And I started gaining it back and it was just like, okay, like it kind of hit me. Like you, you need to do more. And then I did, you know, I was only doing cardio for a while and I was like, okay, I kind of, kind of feel good with this, but I'm not, I'm like plateaued already. Like you see it, you know, you get that adaptive complacency and now you're like, I need more. And so that's when I started going to the weight room. And I'm like, I do public speaking events and stuff all the time. And like, I'm pretty comfortable, like speaking up in a crowd, you know, and I walked over there and I was like, I feel <laughs> like I do not feel like I belong here, you know, and at one of the first guys I met, I still live with him all the time. He's a, he's a cop down in the cities who's jacked. Like he's there all the time. And he was the first dude that started talking to me over there. And it was just like kind of made me realize. I'm like, oh, nobody cares that you can't bench press anything. And you look like a potato, (laughs) you know, like it's just they're just happy that you're there, you know,
0: a million percent. These are people who've likely been in your shoes before. And if they haven't, they've watched other people's transformations. And they're also releasing endorphins all the time. They're happy, they're confident. These are, it's a supportive community. And I, I wish I would have known that out of the gate too, because the first, the first thing I started doing was just walking every day for an hour after school, I was in high school and for a month, nothing happened. And I remember crying to my mom and like, I, I'm gonna give up. This is stupid. I'm not like, nothing's happening. She was like, honey, stick with it. I promise you're gonna start to see changes. And it was literally like the next week, it just started dropping significantly quickly. And that I, it was really just walking and then um, cutting out some junk foods. Like, I wasn't adapting this whole new lifestyle, but I was like, I oh, probably don't need ice cream, Doritos, pizza, whatever it was. And then once I started to see those changes and gain more confidence, I was like, you know what, I'm going to try going to the gym and start lifting. And I understand that process that people want to lose a little weight first before they do that. And it's possible by getting a lot of steps in and cleaning up your diet a little bit. But at the same time, had I just gone to the weight room, people would have been great. And I know that now.
1: Yeah. People don't, they don't care. You know, I mean, I've, I've been to gyms where there's kind of like the meathead mentality and that kind of sucks. Like they're strutting around and whatever. A lot of gyms aren't like that, you know, and people, you know, like my old neighbor was telling me, he's like, "I I don't want people to judge me on, you know, like how little I can lift. And I was like, dude, I go to the weight room all the time. I couldn't tell you what anyone can lift. I don't care. They don't like nobody cares. Just go do it. You know?
0: Yeah. And it's most times people are so much in their own head that they're not even they can't even pay attention to what someone else is doing because they're just yeah. overanalyzing well,
1: everything. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, all these young girls are going to like be judging me because they can lift more. I'm like, trust me, guy, like the young girls aren't looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> like, believe me they're You don't, you're invisible. Just go lift.
0: Right. <laughs> so it was 10 years ago and you started going to the gym and I want to know more about what, that, what was that moment or that like last straw? You said it was New Year's Day. What was the catalyst to change things for you? And to kind of take me back to that
1: time. So I I was probably a full-blown alcoholic by the time I was maybe 15. And so I had, you know, 17, 18 years of real functioning alcoholism in my (laughs) rearview mirror. Like it had, it wasn't it was real right and what ha so this is this will be a this will be a good like lesson in how we make excuses for ourselves and how how i'm fundamentally just kind of an idiot uh so when i when i first moved to the cities i had this job and my boss took some of us we had to go down to this go down to i think cottage grove or somewhere anyway we got into an accident we were on a busy uh I don't remember what highway it was. Busy, like, four-lane highway. And some dude, like, four cars ahead of us cut through the median and did a U-turn. And everybody hit the brakes. And so, you know, hit, 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 hit. But we we hit the car in front of us, and it was, like, it wasn't bad. It was, like, a 50-mile-an-hour type of thing. And I looked behind us, because everybody stopped, and this guy came screaming up and uh, just smoked us from behind. And... I was the only one who saw it coming. And so I braced for it. And is it worse when you brace for it? Cause I yeah. feel like I've always heard. I can, I too. can tell you this. I've been in car accidents sober and I've been in car accidents drunk and I would take drunk every time.
0: Uh, that's what I thought. <laughs> yes. Cause your body's like relaxed, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah.
1: So anyway, this one we get hit, you know, it was in the summer. It was a billion degrees out. We're standing on the side of the road. And you know, I was like, I'm fine. Like a little sore. Everybody was a little sore. and so They gave us the next day off. They're like, yeah, since you got into a car accident for work, you don't have to come in. So I was like, I'm going to go fishing. So I drove my boat up to one of the lakes north of here, north of the seas a little bit by myself, you know, just free day off. And when I'm when I'm fishing shallow water in my bass boat, sometimes I'll take my throwable cushion, like the little life vest looking thing. That's the cushion you're supposed to have. And I'll prop it under my trolling motor to keep it up out of the weeds. And I did that. And then I was moving spots and I pulled up my trolling motor and that cushion fell into the water. And so I'm like, Oh, you know, I reached down to grab it and I couldn't stand back up. And I went head first into the lake because my back was so messed up and I couldn't get back into my boat oh my and I have a bass boat. And so I was like clinging to the side of my boat in the water and like, okay, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm hurt a little bit more than I thought. Anyway, I got, I got back into it, and after that, my lower back hurt. Just my lower back hurt a lot. It would go out once in a while, and I couldn't sleep very well because of it. So, I took what was already a bad drinking problem, and now I had a great excuse, right? Like, now I can't sleep unless I do this. And I believed that for a long time, and it just got worse and worse, and then eventually – you know like i'm i'm hiding bottles of freaking jim beam in the garage cuz i don't want my wife to see how much i'm drinking and the like the last straw for me so i have two babies at home and i went out and i was i was hunting deer in this property we used to own up here i shot this buck and it was a little buck in december snow whatever and this property was little and so i had where i shot him i had to drag him like 400 yards to my truck through the snow no big deal. I've done this a million times in my life and I'm dragging him across, you know, listening to rush hour on 47 there and looking up at the stars and I could, like, I'd have to sit down and be like, take a break, get up. And I'm like, it like hit me. I'm like, I feel I'm sweaty. Just like felt gross, like felt bad. And I remember sitting there just in this cattail slew in the winter and you know what I mean? Like dead deer beside me. And I was like, I, there's no way I'll be around for those little girls. If I keep doing this, like I could feel it in my bones. And so that was like the first week of December. And as, as everybody does, I went new year's day, I'm done. So I'll give myself time to drink up till new year's Eve, new year starts. I'm going to be done. And I'm going to give myself one year because we all make it is like this is like a really common thing. I didn't know any of this at the time, but it's really common to like bargain even with yourself. So you make a social contract where you tell people I'm done. I'm giving it up for a year come January 1. And so we bind ourselves to social contracts because we actually care about them a lot. Like if we tell people we're going to do something, we don't like to let them down. But we also give yourself an out. Cause if I do it for a year and I want to go back, I'm not a failure, even though I knew like you, you can't do this. Right. So I did all the stuff that everybody does and you know, new year's day comes and I gave it up and I, I had tried a few times and it lasted like a few days for me. And after like a couple weeks, I stuck to it. I realized, I'm like, oh, you'll never do this again. Like I could feel like I'm never going to drink again. And I was probably too cocky because there's times where I'm like, man, I'd really like some whiskey. Like really? Uh, so it's not, you know, like the, the ground I thought I was on is like, it's not as firm as you think. Like, and that's a big problem is people, you get too cocky right. and then you get into a situation where you give in. And so I, and I say all this in, in retrospect, cause I didn't know any of it. And I went through it. So many times, but it was like just that moment of realizing like, you can't do this to your kids, you know, like it wasn't about me. It was like, and and, I mean, I shouldn't say that it was like, I felt like shit, like I wanted to be a better person, but I just like, I had this moment of clarity where it was like, there's no way like you, you either do this or you do that, but you can't do both. And it was when I, when I got through like the first couple weeks, I, I felt so dumb because I was like, why didn't you do this 10 years earlier or 15 years earlier? What, like, why did you live this way for so long? And it's, you know, it just is what it is. And now it's, you know, I'm bumping up on 10 years and I just, it changed everything for me, it changed the arc of my career. It changed my focus with my job and my writing. I mean, it changed like physically like how to like work out because it that was the other problem that people we don't talk about is i think we, we always talk about the physical addiction you know and everybody's like oh you know you're a heroin addict like you're physically addicted to it like that's a component right but the mental side of it and i think we're learning this more and more that's like that's what really matters and like when you're when you're dependent on it it's it's like it's a different thing. It's it's such a mental thing and it's always tied to depression. It's always tied to self-esteem issues. It's always tied to this trauma or whatever. And we don't like, especially with drinking, we don't really acknowledge that because it's like so socially acceptable, but it's addiction. Yeah. It's just addiction. And like, I don't want to sound like a prick here, but like we, we joke about addiction or like OCD or stuff like that. Like. Which is fine. Like I'm a, whatever, (laughs) make fun of whatever you want. I don't give a shit, but we don't really give it like full weight. I think, like, I think it's easy to just be like kind of dismissive of it and, and be like, okay, this addiction's bad. That one well, since everybody does it and we're all watching football every weekend or whatever, like it's no big deal. If, if you're that addict, it is. Yeah. It just is.
0: And, and maybe it's because so many people actually have an issue with it, but rather than confronting with it, they make jokes about it. I mean, look at all the memes that came out of 2020 surrounding alcohol. I mean, it was a joke that, that liquor sales went through the roof and people were drinking, you know, all hours of the day because everybody was working from home. They were busy parenting, helping their kids with schoolwork and working like it was a shit show. And so a lot of people leaned into it more and, you know, it, our culture rather than recognizing like, Hey, this might be an issue. It was like, let's send each other funny memes because we're all just surviving through, you know, wine and, and happy hours at one o'clock in the afternoon. Yep.
1: I mean, It's so like, like I said earlier, but like, if you work in a restaurant, you tip pretty well, man, if you're a functioning alcoholic, like you see this stuff everywhere. Like you see how common it is and how we just, we are like, we just don't acknowledge like the severity of it with a lot of people. And it it is like, it's, it is like a joke, you know, like, but man, it's, it's an addiction. Like it's as bad as any addiction out there. And it's. It's so easy, you know for us like we're we're such hypocrites in society we we choose like you know if and it, listen, lots of people can drink and they're good with it, you know, like lots of people can, but we look at some stuff and go, well, okay, like I like to drink and i I don't have a problem with it, so it's okay, and then i you know like i'm a I look at like the gun issue, and people will go, uh, we can't have that evil in society, I'm like, well, hold on. <laughs> some people use them irresponsibly and I get that Uh most people don't they use them responsibly so you're willing to give away that freedom for somebody else because it doesn't matter to you that would be like if I was like I can't handle drinking so you shouldn't be able to like I just don't subscribe to that
0: no and I feel like we live in this time of absolutists. like if it's you know, we can talk about the the mandates, like everybody has to is supposed to take the same thing, regardless of your mandated vaccination, regardless of your body composition, how much you exercise, uh, what your diet is like, having everybody do the same thing or saying this is right for everybody, or this is wrong for everybody. It's just nonsense. And
1: yet, it's that's where we are with a lot of things. Yeah. Well, people are variable. <laughs> like people are muddy, man. Like we're not the same things, you know? And I, I don't know. Yeah. That I, I like freedom of choice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We Even do. though I've made a lot of bad choices in my life. Right.
0: But, but that's how we learn and grow. I mean, it's like the freedom of speech and how people don't want people spreading misinformation. It's like, well, for one thing, that's a, usually a pretty subjective call as to what's misinformation because we probably don't have all of the information yet so you can't be so quick to say this is absolute truth or not but then also just uh because because somebody believes in something uh whether we agree with it or not whether it's a truth or not they still have a right to say it and then i trust that people are smart enough to decipher whether that's
1: you know Absolute bullshit or not. Well, and I mean, I think I'm I'm like a kind of like a science geek. Like I'm a space geek. I love yes, space. You,
0: yes. <laughs> We've had the space conversations before. <laughs> I did
1: it. I think it's so fascinating because we keep learning how wrong we were. You know, and it, you can look at any facet of science and it advances, right? And it advances, you know, they say it advances one funeral at a time because once you know, Once we get one idea of how things are and that kind of gets ensconced in us or in, in the science community or whatever, it's like that's the way it is. And then it's like, okay, well, we have new information now and things change. And I think it's crazy that we look at life and we don't acknowledge that there's new information coming our way all the time. To just like make up your mind that this is how it is, and it's always gonna be this way, I go, I don't know. Like, we, we, the things we are so confident about, we're so often wrong about. A million percent. And during
0: 2020, one of my biggest pet peeves is when people would say, trust the science, or because I believe in the science, as if it's a religion. Science, anybody who understands science knows that it's constantly evolving. And so what we know to be true one day could be different in the future. And so what I felt like I did throughout the process is I leaned more into my intuition and what feels right. And for me personally, like everybody gets to make their own decisions, what they want to do, but for me personally, what feels right. And I'm glad I did that. That felt good to me. And that's how I operate with most things. But the whole trust something, I mean, you look at the diet from the 90s, and it was low-fat, high-processed, everything. And thank God we know better now because that was absolute garbage. It wasn't even food, it was products. And those were being, you know, fat was demonized, sugar for whatever reason seemed to be okay highly processed food was okay
1: well sugar the reason that they brought sugar in so hard was because they were demonizing fat but they needed food to taste good yeah. and so we actually took something that we really really need and we made that bad of course, i mean obviously there's different kinds of fat but like fat in and of itself is not bad for us we need it right. like your brain needs it your body needs it it's fuel whatever and then we're like, well, now everything yeah. sucks. Let's throw a <laughs> bunch of sugar in there, and that's and way worse. Right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And so, it, it's astounding to me that people can get so tied to any current—I don't—I don't know what you call it—any kind of current thought or rule of thumb that's going on, and not be open to well. Let's let this shake out a bit. Like, let's let, let's look into this a little bit more. This is, you know, and just be curious and open as to all, all the sides, all the differing point of views. I don't know. Let the dust settle.
1: Yep. Well, and, and just be open. I mean, you know, yeah. when you say, when you like saying, trust the science is such danger ground to me, like instead let, let's trust the scientific process. Let's just let it keep working because that the whole point, like if you if you have a scientist with integrity, their whole life is going to be dedicated to proving something wrong, yeah. you know, like not just reinforcing what we believe, but they're going to be asking questions about like, is this actually true? I'm going to test this in ways that we can test it now that we couldn't 20 years ago and see if that holds true. And I one of the reasons that I like the space thing so much is like, It's sort of innocuous, right? Like it's not – people don't care. Unless you're like a space geek, like you don't really care that they figured out that, you know, like how galaxies merge is different than we thought before. Like nobody cares about that. But you see this evolution with the new tools and the the new ways to analyze this stuff and you just go like that's such like a beautiful process because it's not – you know, I mean, like, yeah, there are opinions and there are like, well, we believe this. And like now you're seeing things like with this James Webb telescope where they're like, we don't think the laws of physics that we know are universal across the universe. like, And you see stuff like that and you go, if we can get that wrong, like things that should – like they're so – yeah, they're constant in our world, right? Like we, we live and die by gravity, right? Like we just – like we we know how it works here, and then all of a sudden they start to figure that stuff out there, and Einstein's theory of relativity comes into play, and they go, "This is not what we thought out there." I look at that, I go, "That's beautiful," because like if you think, and that like that's a totally probably like an unrelatable example, but if you think there aren't a billion things like that on Earth for us to learn and in communication with one another, I'm like, we don't know anything. Like we're hairless monkeys, man. Like we got a ways to go yet.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think it just speaks to whether or not you have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. Like, do you look at things as this is the way they are? Or do you look at things like, I'm curious to know more. I'm curious to know this side. I'm curious to know that side. I'm constantly growing. We're all constantly learning. Like if you have a growth mindset, I don't think that you can see these issues being so fixed and so one narrative and one perspective. And I think we are living in a time where there are a lot of fixed mindsets and it's disheartening. It's deflating. It's like I, I a lot of times that's social media. Like I love social media for what it offers, the connection and the ability for people to share their lives, their, their, you know, what, what makes them tick, all the things. And it also shows how little, a lot of people are willing to entertain ideas and thoughts that are different from their own.
1: Yeah, it's good and bad. <laughs> I mean, I, I hate it mostly because I have to do it for my job and I just don't. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it if I didn't have to do that. I, I promise you that. But one thing that I love about it is, so you take the worst of the worst, right? Like, just as an example for like on YouTube, because we do a lot of stuff for our company on YouTube, like 80% of the comments are generated by 2% of the user, users. So there's a very small segment of the YouTube viewing audience, which is enormous that's out there commenting on videos. And so you go, okay, they're getting this little miserable troll segment is getting way more play because of how the thing is structured, but they're not representative of what's going on there. Right. You know what I mean? And so I was, I just kind of look at that and I go, okay, that's the bad, that sucks. Same thing with the people on Facebook and Instagram, whatever, the people who just want to be negative. But you can see how freaking Awesome people are too. You can see how shitty they are, but you can see, I mean, I, I've played guitar since I was like 12. I love playing guitar. I can go on Instagram and I can see 10 year olds that are better than me. And I just go, Oh my God. Like you know, part of it sucks. It's a little hit to the ego, but part of it, I'm like, that's so awesome. You know, and I can show my kids or you can, you know, like I, sh- I show my kids stuff all the time of people that do amazing things, yeah. just amazing stuff. Like I saw, I showed the girls last night. There was a, uh, I think he's a Czech climber, Um, crazy mountain climber, you know, right? Like Alex Honnold type of person. And he was doing, scaling some mountain face and to get blood flowing back into his wrists and his hands. He would do this, I think they call it like a knee wedge or a knee lock or something. He would put his foot in like a crack of the rock face and find a way to wedge his knee in there and then kind of like ratchet his heel up to make enough tension there so he could hang upside down like a bat and shake his arms out on the side of a mountain. And I looked at that and I was like, and he's like just comfortable trusting his life to that. I, I don't remember if he was free soloing or not, but it, either way you just, I see something. And I'm like, people are freaking amazing. Like that's like, and I think that's dumb because I'm scared of heights, but I, I still look at that. and I go, Holy cow. Like that's a, like that's cool. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, I definitely, I lean into the good on social media because there is so much of it. And like you said, it is a small percentage of people who are actually the real uh, radical or the real angry or whatever that happen to be the loudest. And so unfortunately, when you engage with some of those platforms, if if you don't set some boundaries about who you engage with or follow or connect with, yeah, it can give you a very skewed view of how people are operating and currently feeling because it can be so negative. But it's also easy to figure out how to tune those out, silence, unfollow, friend, whatever you can.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of I, I don't engage yeah. like I'm supposed to. I'm like, no, I don't I don't want to engage with strangers. And I'm, I'm kind of the point in my life where if somebody posts something really shitty, I'm just like I, I almost just kind of feel bad for them. And I'm like, sure. I'm not it, like I'm not going to deal with it. No, like and why,
0: why waste your energy on something that's negative? Uh, to me, that just is going to lower your vibration and bring them down to their level uh, r- rather than, you know, if you see something like that, um, yeah, just keep going. Because when you start to engage it, and I've been there before where I've tried to engage with someone in a way to just explain my perspective of where I was coming from. And the person kept wanting to, like, argue or prove me wrong. And I'm like, listen, you you get to decide what you want to decide, and that's totally fine. And I'm good with what I think and feel. And we can disagree. And I'm going to go to sleep tonight, and I'm going to sleep soundly. And I'm sorry if that if it bothers you so much that you're spending so much energy disagreeing with me. But, like, if if it if it bothers people that much to have souls out there that disagree with them, like they're going to have a
1: tough time in life because they need to get down to the Amazon and do some ayahuasca. (laughs) (laughs) They need to look inward for a while.
0: Well, and it comes all back to that is it is it. and, And the people who've done that with me, I know that they're not going inward and that if they did, they wouldn't need to do that. And you know, God love them the good people but it is scary to go inward
1: yeah it's a lot easier to go outward.
0: <laughs> yes, it is yeah
1: but nobody nobody wants to do that
0: no, but yeah what what were the things that when you when you stopped drinking, what were the things that you felt were the scariest part of it or like, Were there ever moments where you're like, I want to, like, this is too heavy. I want to stop. Were you? (sighs) Um,
1: I was scared of like the typical stuff, right? Like I was scared of being in those situations, like two of them specifically, uh, you know, going up to the lake on the weekends and it's a party every weekend and not, not drinking anymore around that when everybody was going to be drinking And the same thing. Uh, my buddies and I used to go over to Northern Wisconsin every year and we would hunt grouse in January. And so we'd play poker and drink a bunch of beers and whatever. And I was like, those two moments, I was like, this is going to really suck. Like, this is going to be, cause I'm going to be like odd man out and I'm going to hate it. And when you're, when you need to quit, the people around you are like well aware of it. They're not going to be like, Oh, you're you're like, I can't believe you gave up or what. like, that's, that's not how it goes. They're like, yeah, we <laughs> like, good job. For for yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you, and you realize that, you know Um, the other side of it that I was scared about was the writing thing. You know, like I, I have been, I had been writing professionally in some capacity for whew, probably 10 years, 10, 11 years, something like that. Yeah. And I was like, it was so like tied into my identity, you know, like, and you kind of, you get used to those crutches, you know, like you get used when you, when you're a functioning alcoholic, you get used to the excuses you can get away with, you know, like there's places where you can just totally give into it in situations where you can, and you can kind of cultivate that if you're a writer, you know, like, oh, I'm, you know, like I've, I need it, whatever. And this is, this has been done. Yeah. Many, many times. Many people have tried this and it's BS. And I felt like when I quit, I was scared of that. I felt like I just leveled up. Like I felt like I was enjoying it more and I was actually way more introspective. And I felt like I got better purely by taking that out. And it, which was, you know, like if you'd asked me, I'd have been like, that's not how this is going to shake out. It's going to go the other way.
0: Right. Yeah. Okay. So uh, your creativity soared, you went, you know, you started going to the gym. uh, So your physical, all of that got better. Uh, What about like sleep? Um, That kind of stuff. Did you notice things?
1: So when you, when you drink a ton and then you quit it, I, I slept so hard for a long time and my dreams were bananas i have a i don't know somebody might listen to this who's a shrink and be like okay i see where this is going but i have dreams often where i'm like preparing for like the zombie apocalypse where i'm like i gotta hoard supplies and weapons and stuff and
0: i gotta protect my family
1: yeah like like we got to load up and go now shit's hitting the fan i have those all the time and when i quit drinking i was like i was the i was right in the walking dead every night man like i was having dreams that were just like so visceral and so real and it reminded me of uh, i i traveled to africa one time and they they put you on the anti malaria i can't i can't remember what it's called but this uh this drug to you know so you don't die of malaria over there anyway It gives some people crazy nightmares and wild dreams, and it gave me crazy nightmares and wild dreams like to the point where I stopped taking it, and I was like, I'd rather have malaria, which is really (laughs) dumb, (laughs) really dumb. I didn't get malaria because when I went over there, there wasn't too much for mosquitoes, but it reminded me of that, and what I learned after, because I don't know how I bumped across this, but you don't get really good sleep if you go to bed drinking. Like you just don't like you don't get into real REM reparative sleep. And so when you quit, your brain is like, oh, my God, I can finally repair myself. I'm going so hard in the paint now. And it's it's a weird experience. And, you know, again, that was like another false horizon, right? Because for a while. It was good. Like, I'm like, I'm tired and I can sleep then I started to normalize and I started to have like insomnia again. And that's like a big trigger for me where I'm like, oh man, like if I can't sleep and I know I got to work tomorrow, like I want to do something to get myself to sleep. So that was, that was partially why the the workout thing came in. Cause I, I could see it coming. I'm like, if, if I don't figure out a, like wear myself out and take the edge off my brain and stop the thoughts a little bit, I'm going to drink again. And so I just had like, it's so dumb but I'm like, I just had to like, go try to wear myself out. And then I, I'm like, okay, now I have an edge on this. Cause I know if, if I'm feeling that way, getting a little spun up, whatever, and I might not be able to sleep. If I go do a run or if I go lift really hard, like the odds are pretty good. I'm going to be able to tamp that down for the day. And you know, tomorrow's a new day. It'll start again, but it's like, you know, it's like, I, you just like a work in progress that way, right. but it,
0: and working out for you was more about like staying out of your own head and just
1: it, totally exhausting yourself. Okay. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it wasn't, I didn't go in like I had no goals. I've, I have I do now, like every year I'll have some kind of running goal or whatever. I didn't go into it with anything. I was just like, I, I literally need to just like take the edge off and do something because I'm going to drink again.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, and it is a great way when you're physically exhausted, and not only are you like releasing endorphins and your happy chemicals, but then when you have that physical exhaustion, without that, I can't. Uh, my sleep is totally different on days that I work out and days that I don't. And like you were saying with the drinking, so I, I got an aura ring for Christmas last year, and, um, if I even have a glass of wine. Affects my sleep, so my heart rate won't lower as much as it normally does. And then when your heart rate doesn't lower as much, uh, you're you're not getting as much deep sleep. I shouldn't say that's the cause of it, but I'm just seeing these correlations. Uh, I don't know if it's because of your heart rate or not, but definitely the alcohol disrupts your sleep. I don't get as much deep sleep. I don't get as much REM sleep. And yeah, my heart rate will stay up and my body temperature will also stay up. And it doesn't take much. A glass or two of red wine will do it. And so just being in my forties now and like having so much, you know, being a parent, uh, having a career, it's like, is that glass of wine worth it? I mean, I, I've i always loved to have, you know, to have a drink here and there. Um, but now I have the data to show me like, oh, yeah, you got crappy sleep. And then that's going to affect my energy the next day. It's going to affect my creativity. It's going to affect uh, like cravings. I If I'm overtired, I always crave carbs, which yep. is just going to...
1: Calorie-dense food.
0: Yeah. Put me <laughs> in another like sleepy cycle. So... I mean, I, I'm by no way affiliated with Aura people. Maybe they could sponsor at some point. For <laughs> <Everybody's> listening, it yeah. <laughs> wants to write a check. <laughs> but um, it does give you a lot of great insight into um, how it's affecting your sleep, which then affects so much the next day. And then you can kind of do that risk ratio analysis, like how much, how much do I want to do this tonight? Is this worth it? just, I feel like the more data and information I have, the more I will make a better educated decision. Like when we know better, we do better. And so for me, when I have, when I know more about macros and how those affect my body, I can actually, I use a tool to track them uh, and I will eat in a way that will fuel my body the best so I can have the best energy. Like it's so much less now about cosmetic reasons like it was when I first tr- tried to st- start losing weight as a teen. Now it's like, how can I maximize my energy? How can I get the most sleep? How can I eat the right things so that I'm not, you know, wanting to tip over at three in the afternoon? Um,
1: You're definitely in your forties. <laughs> I can tell because <laughs> I can, I can I'm right there with you. I mean, you really do, you start to realize at some point, like everything is like give and take, if I'm going to, if I'm going to do this, this is going to happen. Or if I, if, if this part of my life sucks, I have to find something that doesn't, otherwise it's going to spiral. And it's like, I think that's why life is like so tiring sometimes is like when you come to that realization that it's like, you're just like, everybody's kind of on their own little struggle that way every day. It's exhausting. You know, to like, to not just be able to do whatever you want sucks, (laughs) but you just can't. And so you have to find, I mean, I I really think like the the working out thing is sort of like, you know, like people are always, oh, I, I just wish I was happy. And I'm like, nobody's happy. Like nobody's like consistently all the time happy, you know, like it's, it's ebbs and flows. Like it's a moving target and it's like, it's something you have to work on all the time and yeah you're gonna get there some days it's gonna be awesome or like parts of some days and you're gonna like you're gonna pay the price <laughs> like it's gonna swing the other way but that's how it works you know and I think I think sometimes you do the stuff we do just like mitigate like the the severity of the pendulum swinging like I just I want to control it a little bit more so it's not so extreme for me and it's like that sucks because people just want like a get rich quick <laughs>
0: Right, they do. Like throw Show pills. me the the path of least resistance and the the quickest way to get to the end game. It's like, oh, you know, there's going to be a lot of starts and stops, and you're going to trip, you're going to fall, you're going to, uh, you know, if you're starting a workout regimen or like a eating healthy or both, whatever it is, you're going to have days where that just you're not performing like you wish you would, and it's the difference of people that next day going like, okay, well, that wasn't a great day. I fell off going right back to it rather than like, I think where people fail is they have that absolute, like, I am going to cut all of this out. I'm going to exercise this many days out of the week, and I can't deviate from that. Or, uh, you know, I'm just going to throw my hands up. That might be good for a short term, like a month, it might be sustainable. But if that's your Path going forward, and and you can't give yourself a little grace when you're when you slip up, you know that's yeah. Then you're in trouble.
1: Yeah, there that is such a common. I mean, I I mean, you could look at that in so many different ways, right? Like, you know, I I want I'm gonna get in shape. It's January one. I got all my New Year's resolutions. I'm going no carbs. I'm gonna run. I'm gonna lift. I'm going to give up this and this and this and this. No way. It's too much. And, and and it's like you almost – it's almost like a rite of passage to go through that because everybody does it, you know. And it's like nothing that's worthwhile happens that way. Like it's a it's a slow burn. Like it's a long game thing. I'll never forget. I had this buddy in college. We called him Punk Rock Mike because he loved punk music. <laughs> His name is Mike. <laughs> Pretty derivative. Yeah. Uh, but – I remember he borrowed a bass guitar from this guy we worked with and I remember talking to him about it and he just casually said, yeah, I'm going to learn like 50, 60 songs and I'll probably start playing with a band. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> you haven't even cracked the case yet, bro. Like you haven't even opened that up and plugged it in yet. Like you're way out driving your headlights, you know? And and we do that stuff all the time. I mean, look at writing, like, look at how many people are like, I'm going to be an author. I'm going to write a book. It's like, have you written a short story? Like, can you compose an email correctly? Like, are we, are we there yet? But we love like the idea of stuff, you know, but we don't necessarily love the process of like Right. Really getting there. The grind. And
0: of course, we live in a day and age where on social media, we see the end result of so many things. That's yeah, a highlight reel. Right. So we're not seeing all of the steps that it took in the background to make those things happen. And so then it just looks easy and like, oh, why does this come so effortless for that person? No, it didn't. They, if they are where they are, it's because they have been grinding and you can do that too. It just comes with every day, you know, little baby steps. And pretty soon you look back and you're like, Oh,
1: yeah, you have to build something. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You can't buy it. Like you have to build it.
0: Were you doing a lot of cardio first before you got into weightlifting? Like I, 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 you mentioned it before and I was like, Oh, okay. So you kind of had the hamster on a wheel syndrome a little
1: bit, and then you were plateauing or, um, it was just, it was what I felt comfortable with you know and so i could go to the elliptical or i could go to the treadmill and i was like you know i can kind of hide away and just do something and it and it it felt like you know better than doing nothing and but i i got into it but i still felt like i needed more you know and it you know how it is like you sit there And you're on the treadmill and you're looking over at the weight room and you're like, I kind of want to go over there and do that. You know, like I'm a dude, like I'm shallow, like, like I want to look better, like I'd like to have some muscles, but it took me a while to get the courage to go up there. And I did I did what a lot of people do, which is not necessarily a bad thing, is I started on like the machines, you know, so instead of going over and doing free weights and kettlebells and all that stuff, like I'd start on like the shoulder press and whatever, whatever machine is there, because then it's like. You're not going to screw that up. Everybody looks exactly the same. Right. That, right. You know? And it's like, it's actually kind of less obvious how much weight you're. Working. Yeah.
0: You can hide the weight. <laughs> a little bit. There. Yeah.
1: You know, cause nobody's sitting there in like, oh, 15, 30, 45, six, you know, they're not doing that. And so, you know, just like a, a little mental thing and it sort of feels like surreal now cause it's like such a part of my life. But then it was like a struggle, you know, like I was like, I don't want to. Like, I don't want to look like an idiot, you know?
0: Right, right.
1: Well, okay. So I wanted to say a few things to
0: that. The first one was when you were talking about the machines. Yeah. I think people underestimate how effective they actually are. My sister is a bodybuilder. I mean, she's done competitions, um, but like nutritionists, really muscular. And she's
1: the liver queen.
0: Uh, no. <laughs> okay. I, but I've been following that as of late. the The whole Liver King debacle. Wow.
1: So anyway, he would continue. Yeah. Your Sister's a bodybuilder. Yeah.
0: So um and and by the way, all natural, not like Liver King. So uh,
1: <laughs> not she, air quotes. All she natural. She had to. She
0: actually had to get a lie detector test and like a blood urine test for she competed for Miss Natural Minnesota. And won. But yeah, she had to do a lie detector test. Isn't that
1: insane? Did she win money?
0: I don't think so. Big trophy.
1: Because you have to take a lie detector test if you win like a fishing tournament over a certain prize amount, no? Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we won one two years ago. And the tournament director walked up to us and he said something about a polygraph to me. And I looked at my fishing partner i was like what is this guy talking about and he's like oh we gotta go take a lie detector test because we won i'm like oh no <laughs> and way. this was before the whole stuff your walleyes full of lead weights thing that blew up recently
0: oh i didn't even hear about so, that So
1: sometimes it's just tied to the amount of money
0: because oh. it, it
1: could be it's like literal fraud if you cheated it and won because it's like a certain amount of money
0: sure well i guess i don't know i i mean i <laughs> I know she got a trophy but maybe there was money involved but anyways she uses the machines like solely like she doesn't do free weights um when she works out with her trainers at the gym she does half hour two days a week that's the only weightlifting she does and when she competed that was the only amount of weight lifting she did too
1: that's bananas isn't it? so she's on the natch are you sure <laughs>
0: I swear, yes, she's okay. so nat- well. She's a functional nutritional therapist. I always say that wrong. I think I got it right. Um, so she's all about natural. Like, you know, you guys, you guys would geek out about meat all day. Like, she's she's all about. We got a, a turkey from White Oak Pastures uh, for Thanksgiving this year, and it was fantastic. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's her. She's it's definitely natural everything. So. Yeah. So for anybody who is wondering if machines are effective or whatever, yes, they a million percent are, um, as long as you're doing it till failure, which,
1: you know, not everybody does. Well, I mean, the argument against them is, you know, like you're – and especially if you're doing what she's doing where you want to look – like you want to be strong, but you want to look strong, like – targeting very specific muscles, that's the way to go. I mean, the argument against them is you're not using stabilizer muscles and all this other stuff like you would with free weights. So, like, the ancillary benefits of picking up a dumbbell and doing curls are different than the benefits of doing, like, a curling machine. Sure,
0: okay. But they're all good. Right, right, yeah.
1: I wish I could only do two half-hour sessions a week and win contests. (laughs) I feel like I could do – 10 four hour sessions a week and nobody would even pay attention to me
0: (laughs) well it is a reminder to me that i must not i not must i'm not going tell failure because i spend a lot more time at the gym lifting and i do not have the results that she does and she's always like you got to go to my people and i i will at some point they they're in plymouth it's a drive and our lives are busy with kids and all the things
1: well, sometimes you're just doing enough. And
0: well, oh, yeah. And and I really love our Y community. Me too. Like, I remember telling Gary after I had a conversation with you that day, I spoke with some nurse in the sauna and somebody else, like all within a few days. And I was like, oh, I'm really finding my people here at the Y. It's really cool.
1: I love it. I, I was in there last night at, after my run, I went down and sat in the steam room and there was a a guy from Kenya there and a guy from Egypt there. And I got to talk to the guy from Kenya about running and I got to get, talk to the guy from Egypt about how they built the pyramids. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, and it's, I mean, the, the one thing, you know, this is different at other gyms, but our gym's great. You see people who are not like, you know, they're, they don't look like Thor, right. But they're there every day. And they are in like real people, real world shape really well. Like there, I you've seen her there with me sometimes. The, the the redheaded woman that I live with sometimes. Yeah, she's she's there. She's like so disciplined. And like if you talk to her, she'll talk about how she's like not making any progress or like whatever. And I'm like, you look freaking amazing. Like you, like you're an inspiration to people. Like own that shit. And, and you see that with people there, like so many of the people who are there that are like, it's their life, their habit, like it, it, not their life, that's wrong, but it's like their habit. Like they're, they do this. This is one of their things. That's so inspiring to me. And it's not people who look like liver King, right? <laughs> right? Like right. it's people who just look good partially because like, like discipline and, yes. and motivation is attractive. Like getting after it. It's like, it's an attractive thing to us. Like we like to see it and it's freaking motivating, man. It
0: is. It's so inspiring. And yeah, it's like, it's like a, uh, our own version of cheers, except for, you know, you're going to the bar, everybody knows your name, except for a much healthier version of it. And, um, yeah, I, I think for people who feel intimidated about that whole world, maybe they haven't found the right place yet, or I don't know, because there are some gyms that are more intimidating than others. And
1: Well, yeah, and it's not like you have to go to a gym, right? Like, if you if you don't do anything, something's better. So, like you said, when you were younger, going for a walk, you know, like, that's better than not going for the walk. Yeah. You know? And it was effective. Like, yep. that was where most of
0: my weight came off, was just walking. Yep. And when you do have a significant amount of weight to lose... It's really just starting to move your body. I mean, you don't even have to change your diet that much right away. Um, Once you know that that vast amount of excess comes off, and you want to keep going, then you're going to have to turn the dial up a bit. But initially, it's a lot
1: easier to turn the dial up when you get to that point.
0: Yes, rather than right out the gate. No, no, I would have. Yeah, that would have been too much, and I would have thrown my hands up and quit. For sure. If I overhauled my diet, if I was like doing crazy cardio and like gym rat right out of the gate, that would have been too much. Most yep. baby steps.
1: <laughs> <laughs> For sure.
0: Yeah. So you're coming on 10 years sober on January 1st.
1: Yep. That's amazing. And I only miss it now. Very rarely. When my wife is nagging me. I miss it. And everybody laughs at that, but I'm serious. I don't know what it is. Uh, Maybe it's just like 16 years of marriage. But when she starts getting after me about something like my brain is just like, oh, can you imagine what it would be like to just have like a a glass of scotch?
0: That must have been a habit, though. I mean, that must be part of it, too, where that was like something that you did when you felt nagged or whatever back then and that. well sure yeah i mean you know because it's kind of like people who smoke when they drink it's like if they have a glass of wine or alcohol or whatever it's like oh they want that cigarette again or if they had it with coffee um but if they don't have that that's not
1: yeah i i think it's a this is probably like way off base but i think it's like an acknowledgement of not having some control over your life like i think i think you're like okay, you're going to bitch at me about not cleaning the gutters or whatever. I'm going to own this part because it makes me feel good. Or like I'm telling myself it makes me feel good, right? And that was one of the things that I just – one of the reasons once I quit I that really made me realize I wasn't going to go back was when I started doing stuff in my life where I would normally drink, but I wasn't. It made me realize how I had created a life around it. Like it was always like I had no idea how much I had manipulated my own life and the people around me to make sure that I could always have it. And it kind of like it really hit home with me because my my mom has really bad OCD, real bad. And you see the maneuvering you have to do to maintain the world that you think you need because of that and it affects everybody and yourself and it's easy to not acknowledge cuz you justify it you know you say like this this has to be clean or we have to do it this way because it's the right thing to do or because this makes sense but really what you're doing is just trying to curate this world that gives you like the opportunity to be like that default setting whether it's good or not and man when you when when you get away from that you don't realize like how chained up you were. You don't realize like how much you bound yourself up until you get away from it. And there's like this sense of freedom to not have to think like, okay, we're going here. Who's going to drive home, right? Like if I'm going to drive home, then I can only have like three or 4 I am going to have the rest when I get home or while oh, we're spending uh, the weekend here. Like how much do I need to make sure I don't run out? You know, like uh, Chuck Palahniuk wrote about this He in – I don't remember which one of his books, but I might have been in his writing book actually. But anyway, um, he he wrote like this example of like I did whatever this behavior was, and it was like when you're having drinks with an alcoholic, and they always fill up your glass so they can keep drinking too. And I was like, oh, it's like such a perfect way to kind of sum it up because you can you can structure this world to make it look like you're you you do not have this problem like you're a part of this crowd or a part of this scene or like this is a natural thing to be doing but it just keeps going and it keeps going to excess and you have to like manipulate your world more and more and it doesn't hold water eventually like eventually you go like this is this is what i'm doing even if you don't like have to face it like once you get outside of it you see it and you go oh my god that was like an enormous driver in my life. Like maybe the biggest driver of my behavior that I had, which is a lot.
0: Yeah. Wow. And did you just make the decision on your own or did your wife start saying anything to you or?
1: Um, not anything like really pushy or anything. I mean, yes, I made it on my own and it has to be on your own. This is you know, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Like, if you're gonna if you're gonna get better, <laughs> nobody else is gonna do it for you. You can't you can't take somebody in your life who's an alcoholic or who has this compulsive disorder or whatever. You're not gonna fix them. You could give them an ultimatum, you can you can fight them tooth and nail, you can ignore it, you can enable it, whatever. You can behave around it any way you want, but it doesn't get better because of you. You know, like if, if, you know, 15 year old Lindsay, who was way overweight met a million different motivational speakers or whatever, it would have still been on you to go start taking a those
0: million books. percent. It yeah. just is. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes with anything, right? Like if you have a friend who's in a unhealthy relationship, you can ask a lot of questions, try to bring things to their attention, whatever, but until they see it, it's, you know, they're they're not going to make that decision. Did you have a sponsor? Did you go through a program? Anything like that?
1: No. And I I always get like worried about talking about this because people, they have their own journey. And I am not a religious person. I never have been. Um, it's never, that would not have been the answer for me. And it, and I don't say that, like, that probably sounds like way cockier than I mean it to like, it was just not. That route was never gonna be right. for me. It's just,
0: just wasn't your path.
1: No, and and I know people, you know, many people who like they had to do the twelve step thing and they had to do this otherwise it wouldn't stick and have a sponsor. And again, it's like it's an individual journey yeah. to and to me, my thing, my driver was my kids. Like that was that was enough of a motivator to get my shit together. That that's what I needed, right. and not a, you know people have other things like you could have 10 kids and it wouldn't be enough for you. Right. Like you, maybe you need to find that higher calling, or maybe you need to work the steps and go to every meeting, what, like whatever. And it, I look at that and I go, it's just like, if you want to start running, (laughs) some people love to listen to music. Some people love to listen to podcasts. Some people can't run on a treadmill. Some people can only run on a treadmill. Some people have to run outside there's a path for you somewhere. The, the thing to remember is that the path exists. You might just have to try a couple of shitty ones before you get there. And it's not an excuse to give up. It's just like if, you know, like I love music so much. When I started running, I would put on music. And for whatever reason, however I'm wired, I can't focus on music and run. So I listen to music doing everything everything just about other that sometimes writing i won't if i have to do some research or whatever but mostly i will but running i could tune out the music and all i would think about was my freaking misery (laughs) like i hate every second of this it's not working for me and so then i found podcasts and if i find a podcast that's interesting to me then i can crank that sucker up and i can actually almost disassociate usually after like the first half mile when i get through the part where i hate it yep. And I just get in the groove and I'm going, okay, I'm doing four miles or eight miles or whatever it is. Then I'm just like, good after that. If I have if I have a podcast, that's just me. I go into the weight room. I can't listen to a podcast. I got to listen to music.
0: Yeah. Isn't that <laughs> so- interesting? I'm, pro- I'm the same way. I like podcasts when I'm doing cardio because it helps me get lost in not my own... Like I definitely can't hear like the thud of my feet, my size 11 shoes um, and like my breathing because I would just <laughs> creep me out. So I need something. But uh, yeah, music, if I'm like doing a, a fast interval run, I could listen to some upbeat music, but I really would prefer podcasts. And then when I'm lifting, yeah, give me some hard stuff to listen to. Right.
1: What What's hard for you? Because I, I gonna I heard the intro music to this podcast? <laughs> so, what? Uh, how how much harder than uh, than Fraggle Rock do we go here, Lens? Oh my gosh! Did
0: we talk about Fraggle Rock? Did you? Be, I swear to God, because did we have this conversation?
1: No, no. You had said when we were talking about you launching this podcast, you had said you, the. I picked the music and it's staying. (laughs) Yes. Like, you're not changing my Fraggle Rock choice.
0: Oh, I did mention Fraggle Rock. Okay. Because I was like, that's crazy. Because I started listening back to it. And I was like, oh, this reminds me of Fraggle Rock, which was such a, like, so nostalgic as soon as I thought of it. So then I listened back to Fraggle Rock and was like jamming. My kids were super annoyed. Yeah. No, I just, I've always loved like a good line. i've always loved drums i played percussion uh through middle school and beginning of high school i had a drum set when i was a kid like i geek out on a good drum line um
1: you don't have one now uh
0: no it was like an amateur set and so we gave it to our nieces and you know they got rid of it we have one of those electronic drum pads for uh garrison has it no, but I always tell Gary that at some point we are going to make a music room where we have like a drum set, we have like you know different soundboards and stuff. That is, I love that stuff. I'm not exceptional at it by any means, but I can I can hold a beat, you know. I love that. Yeah. So I okay. So to answer your question about what kind of music, um, I love like older old school rap like run dmc and like even before tupac biggie like before that uh because it's it's that beat and it's simple and it's whatever um but i also love like beastie boys i love uh i don't know a lot of 90s it stuff.
1: is really hard for me to envision you rapping
0: <laughs> oh my god well uh I have, yeah, I have spent some nights around the bonfire just like freestyling. I tend to throw people's moms under the bus. Yeah. You know, that's just my style. No, I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> can you?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can see you going right for the mom. It's just hard for me to I do. you rapping. I go
0: for the mom. And, you know, the poor moms love them. It doesn't matter if I know your mom or not. She'll just be named. It's a bonus if I know her name because then I can try to, uh, you know, yeah, but I'm, it's more because I'm such a geek about rhymes. Like I love rhymes growing up. It was Shel Silverstein and uh, I would memorize those and yeah, anything like limericks, all that stuff. And then, uh, when I got introduced with rap and it combined rhyme with the beat, I was like, Oh,
1: I think, I think that's just being a word geek. Yeah, I do. I was laying in bed last night. I love I love songs with like unconventional structure Mm. and that but then you see like, you know, music is just patterns, right? Right. Like it's just like you're stringing together patterns. But when you see like the way some songs are written and like the structure, it's so clever. And it's like it doesn't necessarily sound tight. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't like be like that was like written. So like tightly, but if you start break it down, it is yeah like the exact amount of syllables over and over and over again, and these internal rhymes and these like the structure so cool. Yes,
0: I know. I'm gonna sound probably geeky when I talk about this, but I used to when we'd be I'd be teaching my students assonance. I would use. Eminem because he was so good. Like lose yourself is like a perfect example of how he has that repetition of vowel sounds within lines. And it it's, yeah, I get so geeked out about that kind of stuff and how he would go like rap around the corner when just stop at the end of the verse, like traditional rap does. Um, Yeah.
1: I love it. Did you see the interview with him where I don't remember who was interviewing him? Might've been Anderson Cooper. Uh, Anyway, he he was talking about his writing process and talking about how there isn't a word out there that he can't rhyme. I believe it. And he said, he said, you take orange and he'd think, okay, you can't rhyme anything with orange. And he said, I just break it down. I say orange, four inch door hinge. And then you're like, oh.
0: Yes, <laughs> like that is a, his
1: gift. It's such a simple solution to it right. that would never occur to most people. Right, right.
0: Yeah, he's amazing to listen to. Had, and it's not an artist I pull out all the time, but I can always listen and appreciate. Like, yeah,
1: he's got some pretty good stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you listen to when you work out? Oh,
1: not old school rap very often. I do actually listen to Eminem once in a while uh, and D12 once in a while. Oh, yes, um, D12. I listen to a lot of... Well, Tool's my favorite band ever. I love Tool so much. Um, I don't know. I listen to a lot of heavy stuff with like pretty heavy stuff when I'm okay. lifting. Uh-huh. Like I've, I've actually kind of been getting into like real metal, which is probably really weird <laughs> lately, like, like really heavy stuff, partially because I'm like you, like I, I love guitar. So like, I, I got to have music with like good guitar. Mm-hmm. Like I, the, That's kind of like, just like the barrier to entry for me but I am so infatuated with drums right now. And I, I keep, I'm like bordering on this midlife crisis. Cause I keep shopping for a drum set. Never played drums oh, in my life. Oh
0: my gosh. I'm six
1: two. I'm white. I have no rhythm, but I've, I just, I'm like, I just want to freaking play drums. And I, I haven't bought them yet. I'm gonna.
0: Yes. <laughs> and I'm
1: going to have a drum I'm gonna set. I'm going to come over and jam. And I'm going to figure, <laughs> I'm going to figure it out. But I like, Heavy stuff. Like I listen to like a lot of Ramstein and like.
0: I was gonna say, if you love drums, do you listen to Rush?
1: Ever? You know what? Okay, <laughs> I can't stand Rush. I'll tell you what. <gasps> I, know. I know. Blasphemy. I'm not saying Neil Peart isn't an amazing drummer. Okay. I can't stand Getty's voice. I cannot. It's the same thing. Everybody loves ACDC. I cannot stand ACDC because I can't stand his voice. Mm. And I just don't kind of like that, like glam rock, like it's all about banging chicks and like the same life. You know know (laughs) what I mean? Like the sort of that Motley Crue type lane where it's like just a party. Yeah.
0: Androgynous men who are just always with (laughs) women. And yeah, I mean, that was the time.
1: Yeah. So I'm also kind of a music snob that way. Okay.
0: Where all right. I just I don't draw. like ACDC. Uh-uh. So like you shook me all night long, comes on at well, a wedding. You Change d- it.
1: Oh, oh
0: okay. <laughs> I know. I yeah. know. You said you listen to music when you write? All the time. See, I can't do that unless it's mostly just like a, a melody.
1: It depends what I'm writing. If it's something that I've had to I had to do some research for or I have to like really think about, like if it's something for work, a lot of times I listen to music that is in a language I can't understand. Like so it might be like Nordic chanting type stuff. Really? It might be some kind of German metal. It might be like Swedish folk. <laughs> I love it if I can't understand what's being said.
0: That's really cool. I've never considered doing that before, but I'm sure. It's just like listening to classical music where it starts to fire different synapses in your brain and which is obviously great for, you know, creativity and and working. Yeah,
1: And I, if I'm, if I'm like writing a fiction book, if I'm just writing something for fun, I can listen to music that I really love or kind of tailor it to what I think I have to write and I can do that just fine, but I can't if it's something for work or it's something i have to think about that's for whatever reason if i can understand what they're saying i can't do it yeah so yeah
0: i wouldn't i wouldn't be able to listen to music i i'd get too much lost in the lyrics i feel like yeah if it was in english
1: yeah well and it, that could probably be a blessing and a curse right because that could be a huge inspiration but it can also be like a temptation to steal
0: right <laughs> you yeah know? Like,
1: yeah. I don't have any ideas, and they just said right. this. So I'm going to. That sounds good. <laughs> Let me jot that this. down. <laughs> yeah. What
0: are you working on right now?
1: Uh, so I have my. Oh, this is going to be weird. For my job, the company I work for, my boss, he's written several books, New York Times bestseller stuff. Um, he's been on Rogan five, six times, their buddies. Steve? Yeah, Steve Ranella. Okay. And anybody who kind of flies in Steve's orbit has a chance to kind of blow up, like just, you know, like we've had people like one of my buddies, Clay Newcomb got hired. And the next thing you know, he's on Rogan's podcast, you know, like meteoric rise stuff. And so I've had, I've had two fiction books that I've been sitting on and I haven't done anything with them. And then I've got two nonfiction books in, in my outdoor space that I've been sitting on because I keep, Getting a bigger audience, and so I have I have a couple books out there that are on Amazon, and you know you get your, you know deposit every month from the sales or whatever, and just seeing my association with Meat Eater, with Steve's company has just helped my sales so much, and so I'm kind of like greedily sitting here going, I just want to see how far this audience thing goes, to maybe actually see if I could make some real money at it because you know like you you publish a book. I, I, I don't know what you, you know, this way better than I do, but the statistics of publishing a book and making any money on it are, they're not great. It can happen. Like, and you can, you know, like it, it, it there's a lot of variables that go into that, but I always looked at it and I went, I'm probably not going to make any money on it. I just feel compelled to do this. And then, you know, so you do it. And it's sort of a labor of love, but then you start making a little bit of money at it and you're like, well now I want to make more money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, cause when you get one out there and it's, it's, found its audience a little bit you're making money while you sleep and it's cool and so i'm like just being this greedy (laughs) capitalist here (laughs) and i'm just i'm watching you know like the social media following and some of this stuff just keep going up and the place i'm at like it it shouldn't probably slow down for me for a while so i'm like i don't want to i don't want to strike before the iron's hot kind of with them so i'm just like sitting on them and i'm like I would never have kind of had the patience to do this for most of my life. I'd be like, I got to get this out here and move on. Like I always I look at everything I create almost like it's like a one night stand. Like I want to get out in the morning. Like <laughs> we don't need to talk. Like, I don't want to think about you again. I just want to freaking go. And when I put something out there in the world, I don't want to encounter it ever again. Like it's just there doing its thing and I want to run away and find something else. And so I'm sort of in a weird spot with this right now. Because I'm kind of like slow playing it just to see, and I it makes I feel like like a sleaze even saying that kind of like like because it's like that's not the spirit of what we do, you know, like it's really not. But at the same time, I'm like I don't care. I don't.
0: Well, right, and there is definitely something to be said about letting the the network build first and creating the demand before providing it. I mean, uh, my people have been asking my sister for her cookbook for a a long time. And of course she's busy. So it's just when she can get to it and we're, we're finishing it up right now, but like it's great to put something out when there's already a demand for it. And so I completely understand that. I don't think that's a, that's a genius marketing ploy, And, you know, for the, the creative process, I don't know about for you, but when I write something, if I let it sit too long, I come back to it and I'm like, Oh, did I, you know, unless it depends if I can feel like it's one of those like divine downloads where you you don't even know where it came from. It came from outside of you. And then sometimes you return to her and it's like, oh shit, did I actually write that? Like that's, that was pretty good.
1: It's crazy. Yeah. Crazy how that works sometimes.
0: Right. And that's when, you know, like I I can sit on this or this isn't going anywhere. Like I'm, I'm, I'm good with this, but yeah, there are some things that I, I will write and then. I evolve and I come back to it and I'm like, well, I wouldn't have said that. Yeah. I, did I say that?
1: Yeah. I remember my my first gig in this space was, a, was associate editor at a magazine. And I remember uh, talking to a guy who had been a, uh, just a, a freelance writer and then he became an editor of a different magazine. I remember just talking to him at this event one time about this piece. I, I can't remember what I, I had to dig up some of the old issues and Read this piece, and I was talking to him about it. He's like, "I didn't write that," and I was like, "No, no, you did." Like, I just read it; it had your byline on it. And he's like, "I don't remember that at all." And I remember being like, "I cannot believe anybody could get to the space where they could write so much that you'd forget." And then ten years later, you know, that stuff happens. Like, I we just rehauled our whole basement so my daughter can move into my office and have her own room because the girls have been together. And so, I had to go through and I'd taken every magazine, every newspaper column, everything I wrote and just put it in these drawers, you know, and over time, you're like, for me, you know, I was pretty prolific in that space for a long time. And so, I had so much stuff and then I had to get rid of it or, you know, whittle it way down. And I did the same thing. I'd go through it and there was so much I forgot I had written and some of it I was like, oh, now I know why I forgot. (laughs) This thing, but some of it I would read and go, I can't believe that that was me. Like it feels like it was somebody else. I think that's so cool.
0: I know. And I think that is, it's one of those. Yeah. It's that example of how it comes from outside of yourself. And it's one of the things I talk to authors about too, when they feel so vulnerable about releasing their work, I'm like, listen, this is, this was Given to you, or if 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 you keep getting called to share your work, you can think of it as like a gift that was bestowed on you, and you're just the vessel to let it come through. When you have that writing that's like, it just it literally comes from out here, just comes through you. Um, then you can detach yourself a little bit from it because.
1: I mean it's yours but like and it's it's not going to be if you're not if you don't feel super self-conscious about it it sucks it sucks or you suck <laughs> like if you're like i am crushing this shit like you're probably not
0: oh there's and, not an author there's not a writer that doesn't have some sort of imposter
1: syndrome oh, big with
0: time. you know at, at some point at at some point in their writing process i would say my I always encounter it pretty much out of the gate. Like people are like, okay, I have this idea, but like, who am I to do it? So then we go through that hurdle, yep. and then for sure, right before the release, because they're usually starting to share with some of their close people what they're up to, and when you share what you're up to, you're gonna oh, get so people's yeah, you're gonna get people's projecting their own stuff onto you and usually a lot of that can be negative yeah well and i mean
1: it's it's this is a really hard thing to do but like you know people will buy your book and they won't like it and they'll tell the world and it's like maybe it was a shitty book or maybe it wasn't for them you know and it's like I, i feel like i'm really at that place in my life where i'm like you know people reach out to us all the time and tell us how horrible of a job we're doing. (laughs) Like, like, I can't believe you said this on a podcast or I can't believe you wrote this or whatever. And I'm like, well, you being offended by this, like whatever, like, I, sorry, man, like too bad. But also maybe it just wasn't for you. And I, I look at that and go like, you know, we talked about music. I love music. If you put on like bro country, like Luke Bryan stuff, I would I would want to jam ice picks into my ears. It is not for me. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just not my style, you know? And so you kind of like, eventually you just get to a point in your life where you're like, I just know what I like and what I don't like. And sometimes you take a flyer on something and the book sucks. Or sometimes you just like, whatever. But it's like, it's not, so personal all the time and people are like this is like about me like no like you you bought a book for 10 bucks and you didn't like it like sorry
0: yeah well even if it was about you like uh, it's pretty arrogant of us and i'm speaking of like all of mankind to think that we're going to be everybody's cup of tea right? Like well, clearly we're not like we, if you are living authentically yourself, you're going to say things, do things that people disagree with. And so then they might write you off or whatever. Well, that's okay because this is me. And then we're not for each other.
1: Well, and it, absolutely. You're hundred percent right. But also, I mean, you'll see this with this podcast, people will reach out and they'll be like, you know, I listened to every episode you've done and then you said this one thing and I'm done with you. Like I had I had a guy do that to me one time on one of my podcasts and I was like, so you've listened to like 111 episodes, been right in lockstep with me the whole time and now I said one thing you disagree with and you're ready to set me on fire and push me out into the water. Like, I'm like, the people we choose to marry and create babies with, we fight with them every day. Like we disagree, like... The the person that we should probably be in most sync with, we fight with all the time. And now you think that a stranger who hosts a freaking podcast on dogs or something is going to be like one hundred percent lockstep with you? Like, come on! I know,
0: I know. I don't, I don't get it, and I don't, I don't get how it. Um, I also don't get how it angers people. You know, if if people tune into uh, episodes and it's not for them okay they'll find something else that is for them but for it to make people like angry
1: with that to get angry over it is silly it's not that important
0: it's not it's not and i there are many people who i have listened to where i'm like oh that those are some really great points and then five minutes later They start speaking about something else and I'm like, yikes, that couldn't be further from what, you know, I agree with. That is very much different from how I operate, think, feel. And it's interesting to hear what they have to say, not because it's going to change my opinion, but because it's interesting. And I think that's one of the biggest disconnects too, is people people feel like listening to a differing opinion, is with the intent of changing their opinion. And that couldn't be further from the truth for for me. Like, I want to listen to different opinions, because I want to understand people, I want to understand where they're coming from, what their perspective is, how they got there. Uh, that doesn't mean that I have wishy-washy values and belief systems, like I'm pretty well rooted and solid. And I also realize that where I'm at now is different from where I was 10 years ago. So I'm also open to changing my opinion and evolving because isn't that what we're here for? Yep.
1: For sure. I think it's the, I think that's the move.
0: (laughs) That's the hope. Well, how can we follow along with what you're doing and stay in touch with you on social media, YouTube, all the things?
1: Well, so everything I do is for a company called meat eater. Now, So, you know, obviously I'm on social media. I'm on Instagram at Tony J. Peterson, and that's where I post all my stuff. Um, everything else is created through them. So anything, you know, if anybody's seen me either on Netflix or, you know, wherever we show up, um, I'm I'm there somewhere. <laughs> so if you if you can find their website and you can find their YouTube channel and you can find their show, you'll find me somewhere there for podcasts and everything. So
0: that's awesome. And what is like brief synopsis of what Meat Eater? What's under that umbrella?
1: So Meat Eater is started out as a show that uh, Steve Ranella started with the same production crew that is, did uh, Anthony Bourdain's show, Parts Unknown. Um, And actually, I just found out, because the guy who's producing a series I'm going to film for next year, worked on Yellowstone for four years. They also do Yellowstone stuff. And I was like, he, uh, this is total sidetrack, but he's having a conversation with me about a show I'm going to film about hunting and fishing. (laughs) And he's got a Yellowstone I don't know, Dutton Ranch had or on or something. And so we started talking about that. And he's like, yeah, I, I worked on Yellowstone for the first four seasons, but I didn't want to go do the the prequel show down in Texas. So now I'm doing this. And I'm like, you worked on Yellowstone, and now you're going to produce a fishing show with me? <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. How far have you fallen, dude? <laughs> yeah, right. uh, so anyway, uh, Meat Eater is, uh, was the first kind of like outdoor show with a real bend toward the the. The wild eating like consume everything live off wild game type of angle like this is more than just vanity hunting or trophy hunting it's about a lot of foraging a lot of a lot of outdoor conservation stuff like recipes like how do you want to eat the elk you shoot like that kind of stuff and so it's more of a it's it's like pretty aligned with how i view that stuff like i i I like wild game I like eating clean, ish. <laughs> I try to eat cleanish, and so they—that's kind of their their market.
0: That's so cool. You eat very clean, like you eat pretty much all wild.
1: Uh, the the meat that we eat is all wild game. Um, it, I I shouldn't say that if I go to a restaurant or something, whatever. Like I'll have a burger or something, but it's it, the only thing we buy is salmon. Um, just I'm I'm allergic to fish except for salmon and trout, and so the two kinds of fish I can eat are salmon and trout. And sometimes I catch trout and I eat them. And sometimes I buy salmon and we eat them, but that's it. Otherwise it's elk and deer, turkeys, pheasants, whatever. Yeah. I like, I like eating wild game. <laughs> yeah.
0: I need to be better, but I, a lot of it tastes gamey to me. Um, so I've heard
1: it's a lot just in the preparation, but it's all processing. I do it all myself. Cause I don't, I've never I've only taken a couple of animals in my entire life to a processor and I've hated every every part of it. It's all how you take care of it and they're individuals, right? Like if you if you hunt antelope, you take care of them differently than you do a deer or an elk or you know whatever. And it's if you know what you're doing, the gamey thing is gone. And if you don't, it's like ever present.
0: Yeah, it, it is.
1: Yeah. yeah. And it turns a lot of people off. I mean, part of the I'm, I'm like real picky about this stuff. Like this is a real important part of my life. And so part of it is we're used to fat if you eat beef, right? And like fast, just like a part of it, like a part of the burgers, a part of a steak, whatever. But beef fat is sweet. And and wild game fat is bitter and gross. And there's no way around it other than other than like bear and a few animals. You can kind of get away with it. But mostly if you're eating like elk or deer or whatever, if there's fat in there from them, it's not going to be very good. So that's where a lot of the gamey stuff comes from. So if you see like the meat I prepare, it is – there's nothing on it. I don't mix – like if I make burger, I don't mix anything with it. It's like for tacos and spaghetti because it's not going to hold together because there's no fat in there. But that's one of the biggest mistakes people make. And then – There's just like a lot of like long held beliefs and like, oh, you got to hang a deer for a week or you got to do this or that. And it's like we just got a lot of that stuff wrong and it's stuck and it's sort of a generational thing. And now, I mean, that's one of the reasons like meat eater is like they're really into doing this right and kind of shattering some of the long held beliefs around it. So, oh, that's cool. That's my lecture on that.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, yeah, I need to tune in because I know how great that stuff is for you and i'm a oh the big, macros are insane yeah i'm a big nutrition enthusiast and i love learning and geeking out about that stuff too and
1: yeah. yeah and it's i mean one of the reasons i've i've always done this but i've never been like i have to have you know five deer in my freezer every year so my family doesn't have to buy me to it like i've always just been like whatever comes comes and yeah. you know but i had an experience I was hunting this property that had a turkey farm on it. So a domestic turkey farm. Then they had a bunch of land. And I was talking to the owner. And he said that the turkeys that they have there, which are, you know, I don't know how many per barn. But it's thousands. uh, They go from egg to 50 pounds in four months. Now, if you look at a wild turkey, a big wild turkey will be like 25, 26 pounds. And that's like you know, uh, like a four-year-old bird, which is a, a really old wild prey animal, right? Like, and that's half the size of that in, you know, 50 times as long. And so then I was like, what do you have to do to a turkey to get it to go from egg to twice its natural size? And I don't want that, right. you know? And so, and, and listen, I don't want to sound like super preachy because not everybody has this option. Yeah. Like I'm I'm lucky, like I have the option to go, hunt and get a lot of food, right? Like, I, I know not everybody does. But that, to me, was like, man, that can't be that good. Like, it just can't.
0: Yeah, that's a that's problem with our current food industry, right? Is it's all product and it's, I mean...
1: Yeah, and, it, and if you don't want to eat that way, it's crazy expensive. Right. Yeah, so we're, we're in a bad place food-wise.
0: We are. Well, I just heard, uh, I think it was on Rogan, he was saying... You know, for the first time in all of history, uh, we have people living in poverty who are severely overweight, yeah. and that uh, says something really bad about our culture. I mean, it's not a matter of not getting food; it's that the food is destroying our health. I mean, this is a this is a topic, a whole topic we can come back to in another episode. But like, yeah, I, I think going back to the basics and learning how to get food yourself is becoming all the more important every single year
1: it's a it's a good thing yeah it's a good skill to have and it's yeah. a good just rewarding thing mm-hmm. it's just hard <laughs> it's hard and it's time consuming and it's can be expensive
0: yeah yeah but so are hospital bills yeah. right yeah. so is it are we gonna focus on the preventative health or fixing the problem well man we can talk about everything under the sun and i i want to have you back to just dive into more stuff but this was so much fun
1: yeah it was it was a blast
0: and so anything surrounding on meat eater they can find you on instagram handle one more time uh at tony j peterson at tony j peterson and i'll drop that in the description as well perfect thank you so much good to see you see you at the y soon
1: thanks lens thank you for mm-hmm. the